and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. I'm your host, Nicole Davis. Hello, pod pals, and happy February. In some ways, I feel like this is the real start of 2020. The fog of January has been lifted, uh, which for me had some of the residue of 2019. Uh, But I feel like I'm going into this month with a clearer sense of what I want to get out of the year. In terms of the podcast, that means speaking to as broad a range of guests as possible and continually exploring new roles. And this week, I'm really excited to dig into the world of production design for the first time. My guest is Ginny Godwin, a whirlwind of energy who's worked on a really prolific number of music videos, short films and feature projects, including last year's Blue Story, and has a number of exciting collaborations in the pipeline. As Ginny says later on in the interview, production design is about creating the world of the film, and therefore it's incredibly integral to our immersion in the story. We talk about putting out metaphorical fires, the difference between naturalistic and stylized design, whether there's a place for hand-drawing skills in an age of digital revolution, the brilliance of Nadine Labaki, and which era Ginny would most like to design for. I hope you enjoy our chat. This is episode 44 of Best Girl Grip. Okay, so I have a very long, convoluted way of how... I only started designing six years ago, and Mm -hmm. I'm 35. So I had a whole thing leading up to this. So when I was 18, 19, I actually went to drama school. Mm. So I went to Central, did the acting course there. So I didn't study production design at all. So I did the acting course. I think I was just a terrible actress, so, you know, that didn't work out. And then I had a kind of year of just temping and kind of bumming around, not bumming around, but, you know, just kind of trying to figure out. I was like 21, yeah. didn't have a clue what I was going to do. Temping in the film industry? Or no, no. Like I it? worked at like an art consultancy. I went to LA for a bit because one of my best friends, Amy, was there. We had a great time. <laughs> Very <laughs> it was, Yeah, it was quite something. Then I came back and I did an MA at Central St. Martins in film Nothing to do with production design again. Then I started a children's clothes business. (laughs) Did that for a few years. Learned a lot of what not to do. And then it got to the point where I was going to have to invest a whole load of money. And it was kind of, is this what you really want to do? The answer was no. And then my two best friends, well, um, yeah, her... Um, Tori Hart and Matthew Butler they do Fizz and Ginger films they were doing their first feature film and basically their designer couldn't do it for whatever reason and Tori who you know she's one of my oldest bestest friends she was just she suggested that maybe I would come and do the set and the costumes because she thought I would be good at it Mm. I didn't have anything else to do had no idea what I was going to do with myself I was 29 and just thought what you know what am I going to do so I was like yeah sure fine so my first ever design job was a feature film they made it for like 40 grand in Crouch End I had no props list I had no breakdown I had no idea what I was doing somehow we pulled it off it's been on Sky and like all sorts which is hilarious I did the set and the costume we filmed it in two weeks it was mad yeah and that was and then I was like actually I quite like this and that's how that's how I did it. And actually, I then just hustled and did short films for the first couple of years. Probably what I should have done 
in that kind of thing is done an MA in production design after. Right, right, But, right. I mean, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing. But it was really great. And actually, the one thing that both of those courses did do, mm. all of my best friends are from there. So the acting, like, all of my, you know, my closest friends are all actors. And then in the MA, I got another set of really great filmmaker friends. So mm. it all adds up, you know. Did that feel like a safe space in which to therefore trial doing this? If I'm perfectly honest, it was more of what the fuck else am I going to do? I had this opportunity and actually, weirdly, it's really interesting. I realise now, so kind of balancing the frame and doing all of that, I could just do that. I did that instinctively. I don't know whether other people have that or not, but I that was something that I really loved and making the frame look good, even on that very first film. And I realise now that's a, something that you need and... I love that. Yeah. That's something I really like. <laughs> and is that something you're doing like beforehand, like kind of sketching it out? Or is that something you're sort no. of like doing it as you go along and then looking at the monitor and then making yeah. it Yeah, well, good? the thing is I don't really do that much standby anymore. Yeah. Because I'm kind of doing, you know, bigger things so I can't. But I like to be on set just checking in and checking everything is balanced. I always have an idea of each set and how I want it to look. Mm. And, you know, the more you do it, the more you realise things look completely different on screen, you know, and then how they are in real life. And it's fun. I find it so interesting and so fun and levels and depth and all of this stuff, you know, and how you create that with different textures and colours and bits and sizes, you know. It's really, it's such a fun job. Let's sort of talk about, you said, you, you just said you um, you did quite a few short films. Uh, yeah. Were you making money from those? How were you making a living? So interesting. So basically I, you know, the first year I worked for free and I had other jobs doing other different things. Right. And it was tough. And the reality is, you see, I don't know, because I never went down the assistant route. I've done it a bit differently, which mm. I don't think is a bad thing. But, you know, a lot of people will go and start off assisting and then work their way up. Whereas I just went straight in. I think maybe because I was a bit older and I'd done other things. Yeah. I just wasn't really interested in that. It was very much... I just had to learn how I was... My process and how I was going to do things. Mm. And the first couple of... Well, so the first year, worked for free, did other jobs really hard just hustling with short films and then at the end of that year I was like right if I'm going to do this I have to draw a line because there's no point in doing it if I'm not going to be able to live from it so I drew a line of no more free stuff and then just bit by bit by bit each project gets bigger and bigger and I just about survived mm. <laughs> and now it's pretty like fine and good and everything but it's freelance it's a creative industry you know, it's tough. In yeah. the beginning, it's really tough. But I I do remember the one, the time I just said, I can't do anything else for free because I have to make this sustainable because you have to live and eat and pay bills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's how that happened. Did you know how much to charge? Or Absolutely not, no. I still don't. Say, like... I was actually in Super Hire yesterday, which mm. any designer will know about. It's like where everyone goes. And they now have on the tables the like art department rates. Right, right. I mean, it's mad. You just... I'm very lucky. I have a great agent now, so they deal with all of that stuff. But, you know, if you're making independent British films, rates go out the window because they just mm. don't have the money. And sometimes it's a thing of... Do you want to make this movie with this group of people? Do you want to get paid properly? Mm. So it's kind of, you have to figure out what you're doing and how you're doing and how you can do it. And then when you started charging, did it happen quite quickly that you were getting a consistent amount of jobs? I mean, sure. I've, I've always been incredibly lucky, actually, with that. I've never really 
had a moment where I'm like, <gasps> you know, I've, I've never not worked for more than a month mm. or something. And that's generally been my choice. And you've done a lot of music videos and commercials. Yeah. First off, how did that opportunity to start doing those come about? One of my best friends, Ellie, worked at Rattling Stick. Mm. And she got me in to do those in the beginning. So. And you still do those now? Just... Well, I've been doing more kind of narrative features, mm. actually. The last couple of years, that's mainly what I've been doing. Yeah. But I've done, you know, so I did a music video already this month. I'm doing one tomorrow. And... Then I'm doing like a pilot for BBC and Big Talk. I'm doing all kinds of things now. Yeah. I did two features last year, um, which tends to be, I mean, that's all you can fit in really mm. as a designer because it's exhausting at that kind of level, kind of the 1.5, 2 million level. It's exhausting and it completely nails you. At what point <laughs> do you come on board? What is your like first step? And yeah, talk me through kind of what you're doing up until being on set. So I get approached by a production, whoever that may be, or the director or whoever. Mm. Then I go in for a meeting, I take a beautiful mood board. <laughs> or, you know, I always like to go in with the first meeting with something, yeah. with visuals, ideas. So I read the script I'm like, right, I think this, this and this. I might go in with some colours, might go in with, you know, just some visuals of where I think it should go. Mm -hmm. Meet the director, meet the production team. If we all get on, then they give me the job. I'm probably one of the first people on board because I'm creating the world. And I work really closely with the director with that and then the, and then the costume designer. Because essentially, you know, my job is to create this world, create the atmosphere create the ambience, create everything, the texture, the like living, breathing bit of it. So I'm on pretty early on, if production know what they're doing, which they do, <laughs> which they do very often. <laughs> and then it, it just depends how many, how many weeks prep we have. Like I had um, six for the last one. The one before that I only had four, I think, which was mad. Yeah. Then, yeah, so then I get my team in. Then we decide what we're going to do with it. Constant communication with the director, with everyone. Locations mm. work really closely with them. Sometimes they love me, sometimes they hate me. Uh, <laughs> but it's so important, especially with low-budget stuff, because you have to... The locations really have to work with you because we're not doing a huge set build in a studio, so everything can't be exactly the same. And very often with the locations, you can't just go in on wallpaper and, try, you know because then you have to redo it and yeah. so it and presumably will, you need to know like dimensions of the space like everything how much yeah it, so yeah. there's loads of recce's tech recce's all of the things and then mm. the gaffers come on board the dop it's a process mm. and then so not only do we do all of the kind of big stuff but we do all the prop breakdown and the uh, you know graphics and practical lights and I mean there's everything I have a big kind of breakdown spreadsheet mm. that I have for each location each scene we break it up into location by location which scenes then when the schedule comes in so the first as well work really closely with them because obviously if you know they do a schedule and the sets just aren't going to be ready there's no point so work really closely with them as well and in the end, it all comes together just. Yeah. But I'm really lucky because I have an amazing team that I work with. So we kind of split up how we get everything. Amazing buyers, you know, amazing art director, amazing yeah. set deck. And that's how we do it. And then we get on set once all of that is done. 
It sounds like an enormous amount of responsibility. Huge. And did you kind of know that when you were first getting into it, or is it something that you've, like, gradually adjusted to? Abs- I had no idea. It is... Do you know, my job is about putting out fires, and sometimes... Sometimes it is insane, and the creative stuff... You know, I have the kind of overall vision, do the job, and then sometimes I just have to let my team do it, because I have to go and put out this fire there, that fire there, or, you know, do, like, practical... There's a lot of logistics in it as well and making sure things are getting to the right place at the right time and how long is that going to take and is that going to be enough? I mean, the last film I just did, we totally refurbed this big grade two listed building. The paint job, I wanted to wallpaper it all, but we didn't have enough money, Mm. so we had to paint it. And it was insane. It was a mad, mad, and we were building into it and all sorts. It was mad, but we just about had it ready on time. Yeah. And we kind of went, we did like a beautiful, we went really deep into blue and it was so beautiful. Mm. And we kind of built in and fixed a load of stuff, ripped up horrible floors and replaced them and things. Yeah. So with that one, we didn't have to, but essentially, yeah. So you always have to keep a big chunk of budget for that if you have to do mm. that. Because that's the other thing, the budget is... So the art director does that too, but on these kind of smaller, independent ones, I'm very much in charge of that, because I just have to be. People management. Because also you have to manage a team as well, which is sometimes (laughs) not so easy. And, you know, people have lives as well, and you have to take that into consideration. And it's creative, so there's a lot of passionate people around... And it's not always easy. And also, so not only do you have your team to look after, but you have to make sure they're getting on with everyone else's team. And sometimes that is tricky. You have this group of people who are together for such an intense period of time. You're going through this emotional thing. It's often a passion, really passionate from the director and DOP. Mm. And everyone wants to create this beautiful piece of art. So, you know, it's a high pressure situation. And within that people you know sometimes and everyone's exhausted as well because you're doing long days no one's eating home-cooked food they're not (laughs) seeing their families enough all of that kind of stuff so you just you have to be aware of that people can snap very easily but you can't take it personally it's that weird line of this is a job and it's professional but it does get personal as well so it's kind of that very interesting balance of managing that I sometimes have to walk away and be like, no one's dying here. We're making <laughs> yeah. a film, you know? Yeah. So, like, one film I did, so we had oh, there were hundreds of animals. We had this scene of this rabbit, and, you know, we were running over, and the rabbit had to go. Like, legally, the rabbit had to go, and we hadn't got the shot. Everyone was having a meltdown about it, and I honestly was calling around... Like, like North London trying to get a white rabbit with red eyes and we almost nearly went and bought this rabbit with red eyes and then we were like hang on but what are we going to do with this rabbit afterwards and I was like this is ridiculous (laughs) we didn't get the shot the rabbit's gone like move on you know but in that moment I was honestly going to send one of my team to go and buy a rabbit and yeah (laughs) is it sometimes about not being tied to the initial vision you had as well like because I can you have to be so adaptable with that like you go in with the dream scenario and then often with budget and stuff you have to be adaptable Mm. so far I've been quite lucky there's nothing 
Can I think of anything where it went way off piste? I don't think so. But that's just, that's from experience and knowing what you can and cannot achieve on the budget and being real with everyone from the beginning. And where are you getting inspiration from? Because I imagine it can come from all over, not just like Pinterest. Yeah. And how are you capturing that inspiration when it strikes? So I watch a lot of movies. I go to a lot of art galleries. Mm. I am so lucky. I have a lot of incredible friends who do weird and wonderful things. Colours for me is the thing. I love choosing the colours. I love choosing the palette. Mm. I've always been into that. And I just, I I honestly, anything I see that I think is beautiful. So, for example, when I'm not working, I always go to art galleries. Anything like that feeds the soul. And also, you never know when it's going to be relevant. Mm. Like, there was, I went to the Basquiat exhibition. And this one painting then came relevant to a reference that I use for this film I'm doing hopefully this year that's going. And I always just keep kind of... I don't have a notebook or a sketchbook or anything yeah. as such. Just like a mental catalogue. <laughs> yeah. And I always kind of take photos and they're all on my computer. So if ever I need to dip right. in. And I read a lot. And, and it's funny because sometimes a quote will be like, yes, this is so relevant. And then it just conjures up images and mm. references, you know. So the research, actually, I love. I love that bit. But I come... I went to a very, like, academic school and... So I guess I was kind of instilled to go into it like that. Yeah, yeah. Is your research, are you doing it by hand when you create mood boards or is there like software, like how are you doing that I, to be honest, at the moment, I just do Keynote and then I put it into <laughs> nice. a PDF yeah. and I just put it all together beautifully and do it like that. But then as you go on, so in the process, so I always have fabric samples, wallpaper samples. I have in the production office, I always have a wall just of location by location of the fabrics we're using, the colors, the wallpapers, the textures, all of that. So it starts off digital and then it becomes physical. So I'd love to talk about this more through the lens of a short film you worked on called Sarah Chong is Going to Kill Herself, um, which is a really uh, wicked uh, satirical short film with a with a 70s aesthetic. Um, it's really funny, directed by Ella Jones, produced by Alexandra Blue and written and starring Elaine Gracie. I think I've got that right, if memory serves. But yeah, the, the the thing that stands out about it for me is the visuals. So how did you put that together? Do you know what's so interesting? That's one of the first jobs I ever did. Really? That's and cool. so I was working with a girl called Soph at the time. Um, and we went in for the meeting. They had 10 days before they were going to shoot. Their designer that they'd had on mm. board had just gone, I can't do this. No Too much for me. Yeah. And we were like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. So we built 11 sets within this time. So that orange colour, yeah. right, let me tell you about that orange <laughs> colour. Basically, we just had no time and mm. we had to go with instinct. And it was 70s, that kind of bit of it. Mm. And I was just like, we're doing this orange. Everyone was like, what? No. And I was just like, trust me, it's going to work. We don't have time to argue about Mm. this. It's going to work. So that orange colour, and I'm so glad I put my foot down about it. Because actually, it's so great. And then that wallpaper. So I wanted to do all of it, but we couldn't afford it. So we could only afford one strip. That's why we put it round. Right, okay. That's interesting. (laughs) Are you getting that made up? No, so that was from this incredible place that does vintage kind of repro 70s wallpaper. I wanted to do the whole office in that. That may have been (gasps) a bit much. And actually that orange was taken from 
the wallpaper. So okay, it, it came out a vaguely different kind of tone because we had to we had to mix that paint ourselves because we couldn't afford that color in the quantity that we needed. Mm. I mean, it was mad. That job was mad. It nearly killed us. Well, because it's so detailed. It, it nearly deep. killed us, but. We didn't, it was one of those where we didn't have time to think about it. Mm. We knew it was going to be a wonderful thing. And actually, it still gets me jobs today, for sure. And it's one of my favourite things I've ever yeah. done. But it was mad. It's with something like that that's like so <laughs> stylized. Yeah. Do you have a preference for kind of that where it's just I like, love the there's so much colour. I love yeah. colour. I do. That's my favourite, mm. like super stylized, super colourful, all of that kind of stuff. But... Weirdly, recently, I haven't done that much of it. Um, I mean, this music video I'm doing tomorrow is like a futuristic alien mm. rave, so go figure. I'm... The trouble is with stylized stuff now is that when you do it, it's just Wes Anderson. That's the reference. And it's very difficult. You know, the one beautiful film, uh, the Nadine Lebecki Caramel? Mm, yes, I love that film. Uh, one of my favourite films. Yeah. I, lo- it, I love it. And it almost looks like it's stylized, but it's so natural and how she did that, the design on that is just so perfect because if you look at the palette, it's mm. incredibly small, but it's not It's not like Wes Anderson. I would love to be able to do something like that. I haven't quite had the script or the chance to do that, but I would really love to do that. So it is super hyper-stylized, but you barely notice, mm. you know? How do you select the projects that you work on? Like, Do you have like you know directors that you're like, oh, I'd love to work with you? Yeah, of course, yeah. of course I do. I would love to work with Yorgos, my God. Do you know, I've been so incredibly lucky to work with such a variety. So now it's a little different just because of where I'm at in my career. But before, you know, it would be about whether I like the script, whether I like the director, producer, the team, and if it's something I wanted to do and if I was free and if I needed to work and I needed some money. You know, some jobs I just had to do because I needed to pay my bills. Mm. That creatively, I wouldn't necessarily be that into, mm. but but actually, it's all it's all experience, and you learn something new on every single job. Doesn't matter how long you've been doing it, I reckon. As a head of department, I'm also wondering if you had to condition yourself or learn how to stand up for yourself and for your team, and if so, how you went about doing that. I, you know, I've never had a problem with that it's interesting you pick your battles because sometimes if someone wants something fine just like let them at it but you know I have a very kind of far line like I'm very kind of easygoing and whatever but once you cross that line forget it (laughs) forget it you know I will let things go so far and then once they cross the line no but I'm like that in my life as well so it's not it's professional yeah, yeah, yeah. and personal. Um, and you've mentioned quite a lot of like the logistical side of it um, and yeah, the managerial as well. But do yeah. you consider yourself an artist or a technician or is it like a blend of both? Well, I'd love to think I'm an artist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I do. I, I think it is. I'm definitely not a technician. My computer skills are horrendous. <laughs> I can't build anything. Well, I could, but I don't like It's not something I enjoy, yeah. actually. I enjoy I enjoy the vision, I enjoy creating the world mm. and then I also enjoy other people making it for me, <laughs> if I'm honest. Because yeah, yeah. some designers are really hands-on and, you know, I will get involved with that if I have to, but it's not, I'm not that kind of designer. 
<laughs> and also my computer skills are just terrible. I tried to learn SketchUp. Well, I can do SketchUp just about, but... And actually, mm. any designer coming up now needs to be able to do all of that. Otherwise, it's just not a thing. Yeah. But I have a bunch of my team who can do it, so they're good. I mean, even Google Docs, I'm disastered, <laughs> you know. Drawing yeah. and, you know, hand-doing everything. Yeah. So, with it, and there is a place for that, I mm. think, still. Do you feel like it's fallen out of favour a bit in the digital revolution? I saw this amazing designer called John Ebden before he does he's done everything mm. he's been around for years and he's so lovely and he asked me about that because obviously to him I'm like young and whatever yeah. and I was just like I can't use computers he was like great good <laughs> I'm glad you know there's a place for the drawings and I think because it is a creative thing and I do think that the you know everything for builds and stuff you have to be able to use CAD and Vector 3 or you know all of that stuff mm. but I ha- I'm as I say I'm very lucky I have a team and a bunch of them can do all of that so we kind of create that together so I would say more artist than technician <laughs> um have you had like a set that's been your favorite to build or you're most proud of Sarah Chong yeah yeah I mean for sure although I would say the refurb of this grade two listed house that we did mm. That was that was a big job actually, and I'm quite proud of that. It was really hard work physically, mm. but it was it was good. It looks beautiful. We worked with this Hungarian DOP called Mark Giori, and he was just wild, like up in trees, out of windows, wow. stuff he did with like a piece of mirrored piece of metal was just I mean I've never seen he's Mm. a genius the man is a genius he did some crazy (laughs) stuff we did this thing where um you know the girl the it's about a girl and she's being haunted by her dead sister great (laughs) and basically we did this thing where she had to be hanging upside down in a mirror and the way we did it we did this kind of so there was a mirror but then the mirror turned into perspex. We hung her upside down, but the camera was like moving. It was yeah. insane, and yeah. it looks incredible. So intricate. Yeah, hard. it was in that day. Was absolutely. I've never, you know, because we didn't have the money to do it all in VFX. We had to do it in camera. Right. So you had to get creative of how we were going to do it. And at what point did you get an agent, and how did that change things for you? So I didn't have an agent until this, like last summer. I was, as I said, I was really lucky and I was never kind of short of work and things. Mm. And then I did Blue Story at the beginning of the year, last year. And the costume designer on that called Ruka Johnson. Yes. She's been on this podcast. Has she? Amazing. So Ruka's put me in touch with her agents because she was just like, you'd really like them. Yeah. And yeah, so now I'm with them. But it just, you know what I think? I think it just gets you in rooms for bigger stuff. And hopefully, you know, I'll do some TV and stuff this year. That's what I want to do. It it just it just opens the door mm. for more things, you know. Why is the gold TV at the moment? I just think it'd be fun. I just think it would be. I've never done it really. I've done a couple of pilots and things, but I haven't done a lo- kind of long form TV show. And I'd really like to do one just to experience mm. it. See, they have a bit more money as well, so you can kind of do a bit more things. Yeah, I just think it'd be interesting because I haven't done it. Do you find getting jobs competitive at all? I mean, I'm sure it is. I just don't take any notice of that. I'm not. I just do my own thing. But I always have done that. So, And as I say, I've done things a bit differently. What I realise now is Mm. I didn't go and assist and I didn't do all of that stuff. So 
you know, often people, when they get to this point, they, they have a kind of network because they've worked for a bunch of people that they yeah. can ask. And I don't know how that works, but I... It's really interesting because for my team, I fully expect all of them to go on and design if that's what they want to do. And I would 100% like give them advice, tell them anything, yeah. you know, go and set deck for them if they want and I'm free. You know what I mean? I would fully do that, but I don't really know about other designers and how they would do it. Yeah. And is it a job in which you're like, you feel like you're constantly learning as well? Always. Every single job. What's been the biggest learning curve? Oh, God. <laughs> Well, the budget is always an interesting one. Designers always go over, and I really try not to, but it's really hard. It's so hard because it's it's just, it's one of those things, things always go wrong, and no matter how much contingency you leave, mm. you always need more. It, it's, you know, with film, you can always spend the money. Like, 1.5 million is loads of money. It's not. No. <laughs> you know, it, 2 million, loads of money. It's not. And with the best will in the world. I, th- I think the budget is the main thing. Also having the right team. Because you can have as many people as you, you know as possible. And if they're not the right ones, it's not going to work. And you owe that to people because it's a hard job. So you may as well have a nice team. Uh, you know, just n- knowing how long things take, that's also, and how, mm. how much things cost, that's uh, that's something that you only learn by doing it. And so. sometimes I presume, like, it might be the first time you've had to have something made yeah. and, like, you don't, you, yeah. know, you can't exactly. plan for it. Exactly, yeah. But you just, you have an idea. So I would, if someone came to me and said, right, we want this huge, I don't know, crab made for an advert mm. or something, I would vaguely be like, right, okay, so I know who to go to. I vaguely know how mu- how long it would take. I vaguely know how much it would cost. Mm. Within that, of course, it's all adaptable, but I know that now. Mm. You know, you have, you have a crab man. Here, yeah, I've got a crab man. <laughs> cool. <laughs> I don't you know why be. I said crab. Um, and with something like coming back to Sarah Chong, which is yes. obviously very recognisable, but then you worked on um, quite like realist features. You mentioned Blue Story yep. and Flood. Yes. Um, do your kind of goals as a production designer change? Because presumably it's about making the world more naturalistic. Yeah. Like, how does that affect your working process? For sure. Uh, the process the process I find is always the same. So I read the script, come up with ideas, do my breakdown, mm. get it. That's the process. But within that, mm. within the worlds that we're doing, it's so different. So the references that I would use, the books I would read, the exhibitions I would get together, all of that kind of thing. Yeah, so I, I feel like my, my process is the same, as in step by step what mm. I would do, but within that, whatever world I'm creating, it's completely different. The The naturalistic real stuff is, you know, every single detail has to be spot on, because it has to be truthful, mm. it has to be authentic, that word. <laughs> um, whereas the stylized stuff, you have more kind of it doesn't have to be because you can literally do anything you want mm. so almost in a way even though the stylized stuff looks more detailed it's not the naturalistic stuff is because every single every book every mark on the wall every picture everything has to be perfect because otherwise whoever's from that world will know that you've fucked up yeah, yeah. whereas the stylized stuff you can do whatever you want I, they're both equally as detailed, but just in very different ways. I like both. I, I really do. Is there an era or a genre that you particularly want to work in? I want yeah. to do 1920s Paris. I've always mm. loved that. I want to do... 
Yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald, I just, that for me is, or London, like, whatever. I want to do 1920s, mm. Art Deco, pink velvet, black, gold, I, yeah. Have you seen Babylon Berlin? No, I've never seen it's that. It's like a 1920s, pushing more like 1930s, mm. but that kind of like, really like decadent opulence. I like, that's exactly it, decadent opulence. Yeah. That is what I want to do. <laughs> and I'm sure something will come up at some point. And... I mean, we've mentioned a few of them here, but like, are there any particular skills that we haven't mentioned that you think make someone a good production designer? I think, I think probably if if people are starting out now, the computer stuff is a must-have. Mm. Like, you got to. I think you got to love film because it's a really hard job. Actually, it's really hard, and the, in the beginning, you do not get paid properly for it, and you have to really love it and really want to do it, as with anything creative. I think you've got to like working with people and just love making beautiful things look beautiful. Mm. That's the key. Even even if you're creating a crack den, it's got to be the best crack den that's ever existed. <laughs> and the detail, it's got to be about the detail because that's what lifts it. Mm. And weirdly, I think for me, doing that acting course really helped because when it comes to a character's bedroom or a character's kind of personal props, I'm always like, well, what does this character need? Because there is no point in putting an actor in a bedroom that they're like, this character doesn't belong mm. here. So I, I like to go at it from that point as well for all the personal detail bits. It's almost as if with hindsight that the acting course was a really apt precursor to your career. I do. And I think actually I probably think about it a bit differently because I did mm. that. And I think that's, you know, it gives a certain extra depth to it. It's kind of in- important I think yeah. sometimes to recognise that like yeah there isn't any one set path and it doesn't invalidate what you did beforehand and I do believe that everything you do you know it all happens does it happen for a reason that's another <laughs> question but everything I've done has been relevant even mm. doing the children's clothes like I learned so much about fabrics yeah. and textures and what they meant and colours and that kind of thing is there something that's particularly hard about your job? I would say the hours. Mm. Because when I'm doing a project, very often I don't see my friends <laughs> and I can't see my family because you're working so long. You literally, you work, you go home, you eat maybe if you can and then you go to bed and then you get up and do it again. And I've decided that this year I have to get better at not doing that and actually having a life as well. But yeah. it's really tough because you're doing such long days. In the prep, I, I try and keep it to kind of nine till six and that's it. Right. And everyone has their weekends. Yeah. But when you're shooting... Yeah, it goes out the window. Forget it. You've got call time at seven. You're up at 5.30. Mm. Seven till seven. But then you've got to prep for the next day. By the time you're home, it's like nine, half nine. And then you're in bed. I actually stopped drinking while we shoot now and in the weeks during prep because just as like a life thing because I used to get ill at the end of every year right, right. and it's just unsustainable so you really just have to look after yourself. And how do you find time for yourself? I, I've decided after every big project now I just have a week where I either go away or I just lie down and I don't and it's just not about work mm. because if you don't do that then... I just burn out by the end of the year. I, I had a kidney infection at the like two years running at the end of the year because my body was just totally... It was just like, you need to lie down for two weeks and you need to stop. So you have to be really careful. Also, on set food, you know, as good or whatever, it's just awful. <laughs> if you're doing that for like three months or six, you know, it just... You just crave home-cooked food at the end. 
you know, honestly, to have my washing done. To because the reality mm. is, you just don't have time to do it. And any time you do have, you have to sleep. And also, mm. it never switches off. There's always, oh, the director needs this or wants this. So while you're on, it's just really on. And does it feel like a career that sort of you know has a burnout or an endpoint because you're like, nah, only so many years. No, you can keep doing this forever. Yeah. <laughs> you, can, I fully intend to as well. Yeah. You can do this forever. So, for example, mm. so I saw 1917 this week. Mm. Design, like, cinematography point of view, my good God. I'm, mm. you know, I'm not really into war films. It's not really my thing. Yeah. But as a piece of filmmaking, are you kidding? Yeah. But Dennis Gassner, he's like 70. Him and Roger Deakins have been working together for 30 years. It's not, it's not an industry where you ever have to stop. Supposedly, we'll see. Um, and is there a myth about working in the film industry in general or specific to production design that you particularly want to bust? Yeah, that it's glamorous. Mm. It is the most unglamorous job that has ever existed. I'm like on the floor most of the time, like sweeping up stuff or, <laughs> you know, it's just in like a derelict building mm. that is freezing cold and production are refusing to get heaters for two weeks and I'm fighting with them every day. It is so unglamorous. <laughs> Even for the actors, it's unglamorous. Mm. And they get treated the best. The crew, I mean, pff, yeah. whatever. And then when is the payoff moment for you? Is it when you see it all come together on screen? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, when you've made something beautiful and you're like, yeah. And and there are some magic mm. moments on set that happen. So during the flood, actually, mm. one of the first scenes we did, there was, um, oh, God, even thinking about it, it's like... Pff, it's insane. So it was Ivano and Lena Hedy, Ivano Jeremiah and Lena Hedy, one of the first things we did. And it was just them in this office, a very beige office. Just He was just telling his story. Mm. And Lena wasn't even on camera and she was just bawling. Everyone in Video Village bawling, DOP bawling, everyone just like weeping because it was just so, ugh, mm. it was just so magical. Hopefully, so I'm working on this film that's in pre-production at the moment. It's a BFI, BBC thing. And I have a feeling that one, the story is so important. Mm. It's so important. I have a feeling there's going to be some magic on that as well. But but that's the payoff. And then also, so when I went to see Blue Story, like, <laughs> you know, you see this film and the audience going wild. Mm. And it's just, and it's important and it needed to be made. And thank God. And that's the payoff. And coming back to that moment that you just described in the flood um, and the magic of it, presumably that must be quite a good feeling for you because you've created the world that allows the actors to to get to that place. You know, you're not you're not pulling them out of it, and you're 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 allowing them to play essentially. Is is that sort of how you perceive your job as well? I very much feel like my job is to create the world mm. that people can live in and create the film, you know? So I, I have a very kind of whole view of the whole thing anyway. I never think it's just about us. It's not, like, we wouldn't work without costume, without sound, you know, mm. without camera, without lighting. It is, I'm always very aware that actually it's my job to make everyone else's job easier as well and fundamentally for the story to be told. But, I, you know, it's the magic moments on set that that's what makes it all worthwhile do you like debrief like afterwards yeah and sort of have like okay like what did i do that went well what did i do that didn't yeah i always have a moment Mm. and i try and do it with um my art director as well we go to a glorious (laughs) (laughs) 
eat spaghetti. Although we didn't do it this time, but we probably should. Yeah, because you can always do things better and always learn lessons. And, you know, there's always more to learn. Mm. And the next time, let's try this. And did you have a moment where it occurred to you that you were good at this? Where you were like, <laughs> damn, I nailed that set. <laughs> no, I don't think I've had that moment yet. I think I, I think... I think it's coming, but I think I still feel so like I've got so much more to do mm. and learn and nail. I'm, I I have moments where like yeah, that's good, but I haven't had the moment of like I don't know. Yeah. People tell me I am, but I yeah, it's it's tricky. I don't know if I'll ever have that moment. If you, but I kind of feel like that's what keeps you wanting to do better and wanting mm. to do more and all of that kind of stuff. And finally, is there a film that you've seen recently by a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem? And also tying into what you do, um, that you think the production design uh, is particularly impeccable on? I mean, we've already touched on it with Caramel, with Nadine mm. Lebecki. And I actually saw Capernaum. Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. I just, I love her. Mm. I love her films. Capernaum, I was in bits. It is such a tough watch. But it's beautiful and the way they do it. She, for me, is like, I love her. And, of course, Greta Gerwig. I've mm. always loved her. I love Frances Ha. I loved um, Miss America. Yeah, Mi- Miss Mistress. Mistress, yeah. Mistress America. You know, I love all of her stuff. Little Women, I thought was great. But Nadine Lebecki, for me, is just... She just, yeah, I would love to design for her. Also, there is a woman who's about to, the film I'm going to do this year, Joy Guerrero. Yeah, Yeah, Joy. She produced Blue Story. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. So I'm working with her. She's directing this year. Amazing. And Joy of my life. My goodness, she is such a woman. She Mm. is such a woman. And I am really excited about working with her. We did a little proof of concept before Christmas and... Actually, so we worked with... It was a mainly female crew. Mm. And it was just... Because the subject matter is such that it needs to be. It was amazing, you know? And Nanu Seagull was the DOP, and she's incredible. So I'm mm. super excited about that. So I feel like, you know, Joy. Joy is on my list. Yeah. Ginny, thank you so much for thank coming you. in today. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all 43 previous episodes on iTunes, Spotify and Acast. And if you're enjoying listening to them, please do rate, review and tell your friends. Enjoy the rest of your week. Bye.